Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as a physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode five of season one of This Osteopathic Life. Today, we're continuing our exploration of the tenets of osteopathic medicine, delving deeper into what they mean, how I see them in practice for myself, ways I hope they can help influence the positive care of patients, of individuals, of families and communities, and see their broader application. I'm going to cover all four of them again as a reminder, and then we're going to delve in to the second tenet today. Number one, the body is a unit. The person is a unit of body, mind, and spirit. Number two, the body is capable of self-regulation, self-healing, and health maintenance. Number three, structure and function are reciprocally interrelated. Number four, rational treatment is based upon an understanding of the basic principles of body unity, self-regulation, and the interrelationship of structure and function. So for today, we're going to delve deeper into tenet number two. The body is capable of self-regulation, self-healing, and health maintenance. And when I consider this concept in osteopathic medicine and osteopathic philosophy, I can come back to the common thought that the body has everything it needs to be well, to find health. Its natural default is toward the health. And certainly that can get interrupted. And that becomes the work of the osteopathic physician to identify those interruptions and help the patient solve the issue of removing them, reconnecting those disrupted pathways. But it's so important to hold reverence for that inherent capacity to be well, to regulate. If you think of all the mechanisms that happen all the time with every breath in the body, with every heartbeat, you know, maintaining an even blood pressure, returning blood sugar to an appropriate level after meals, all the neurotransmitters, that are moving about in the brain and controlling mood and then communicating to all the functions in our body to have sensation, to have motor function. There are so many complex pathways and cellular mechanisms and communications that are happening all the time that when I have patients say or have the feedback of, oh, fix this or, well, you fixed that, and really the answer is no. You know, the body is capable of being well. It wants to be well. And sometimes it needs some help 
some facilitation, some support in getting there. But for the most part, it's able to do it itself. And that's the core. That's the state of normal. That's what we're trying to restore. And we recognize that we're up against a lot in modern society. And much of that comes in the way of various stressors, emotionally, spiritually, financially, relationally, economically, politically, nutritionally. There's this onslaught kind of negativity and fast pace and changes that are happening in the world in a way we haven't yet evolved to manage. And so the work of the osteopathic physician in modern medicine starts to take on a slightly different role in practical application, but still common to how it was intended initially, in my understanding. Again, when AT still developed and researched and started documenting osteopathic concepts, he was challenging the norm and recognizing that people weren't doing well with the exposures they were given in their current society and the medical care that was available to them. And he was seeking to improve what existed. He was seeking to honor the humanity and the capacity for health in the patients and find out what those interruptions were and how to better serve them. And it's still the task of osteopathy today. We just have a much different you know, list of exposures we have to address. You know, it's less cholera and you know, sanitation challenges and more the speed and the intensity with which life comes at us and at our patients and the processing of foods that's so different and the scheduling that's so different and the expectations we have and, you know, the lack of boundaries that exist in modern life and helping to protect that for patients, for ourselves, for our families, for our communities. As we keep circling back to this, we just need to remember health is the natural state of being in the body and there are all these self-regulatory mechanisms and there are going to be times when certain areas aren't functioning optimally and you might get compensation from other parts of the body in order to help, you know, in order to support that weakened system in the body because it is, as we learned with the previous tenant, a unit. And there are times during those compensatory phases that the body doesn't bounce back. And so perhaps the original issue in a certain area of the body, in a pneumonia, maybe that heals, but then there's a whole lot of rib dysfunction for how accessory muscles are working to help you know, overcome the shortness of breath that was associated with that respiratory illness. The lymphatics were working at such a rate. You know, there's a lot of residual congestion or tension around that area. Or the nervous system that fired differently, you know, and it's in this protective state of... I'm sick, I need to heal, you know, what are the major threats to the system? And it doesn't always bring itself back to that neutral state of balance. And that can be the role of the osteopathic physician. And it's often brought up that osteopathic manipulative treatment 
is osteopathy. And I would challenge that it's a tool, you know, that it's a piece of the puzzle and that it could be a key piece in many areas, but it's not all that osteopathy is. And that particularly in this principle, you can engage on the analysis of it, on the evaluation of it, on the assessment of it, and on the engagement of it on a therapeutic level without the hands-on component. And I've kind of circled around and around with this because my specialty is in neuromusculoskeletal medicine and osteopathic manipulative medicine. And I use osteopathic manipulative treatment probably at least in 90% of patient encounters that I have. But in these past six months or so, just for a variety of reasons, I've done a lot less manipulation. I've had a lot more kind of consultation level and interview and assessment engagements with patients and and kind of continue to explain what osteopathy is, you know, what it means to me, how I interpret it, how I present it, how I practice it. I keep coming around to the fact that while I see anecdotally in my practice and in studies, which are challenging, and we'll get into that in a future episode, the merits of applying hands-on evaluation and oftentimes treatment to remove obstructions within the system, structurally in the patient. I also have seen so much value and so much true osteopathy practiced without that, that it's reaffirmed my mission to really restore the spirit of osteopathy and you know, bring back to my colleagues in osteopathic medicine that it's totally possible to be competent and consistent and distinct and meaningful and valuable as an osteopathic physician without utilizing osteopathic manipulative treatment. And I don't want to discredit that, certainly not. That's a large part of my practice. And I don't want to say stop learning, stop seeking, stop using those palpatory skills. But I also want to open up the opportunity to be more osteopathic as a physician, extend some of that to my allopathic brethren as we are coming under one umbrella of training for postgraduate uh, residencies. And to the world, you know, to look at these philosophies and see how they can help bring greater health to you as an individual within your family, within your community, and to the world. And this week in particular, I had a number of what I'll call interviews, which is a different way of approaching a patient encounter. You know, we talk about history and physical and, you know, intake and evaluation. And these encounters were done face-to-face, but just in conversation. You know, I didn't perform a palpatory exam, and it just wasn't the nature of the encounter for how it was set up, you know, time-wise, and um, just the way, again, we scheduled the interaction. But in the course of these, it was kind of fascinating to me to listen for how the osteopathic concept continued to present itself. And certainly there were times, you know, in hearing the story that, okay, like there's some, like there's some serious structural pieces here and 
know, exam and maybe treatment would be totally worthwhile, but I'd hone in my focus and really hear in the story what was happening and what was successful in this person's capacity for self-regulation, self-healing and health maintenance and where it was going totally off course and they were not able to honor that fullest capacity of their being and help them triage that onslaught of modern life, you know, into their physiology and start to sort it out. And yes, I think manipulation could be useful. Um, in many cases as a primary tool and most cases as a complementary tool to other means of treatment. But in pointing out to them, you know, how stress was impacting their physiology and lack of sleep and quality nutrition and sense of connectedness and community and, you know, relationships and financial stressors and being able to hear their story, help them to hear through their story where those challenges to their health truly were popping up was really profound. And I kind of sat back at the end of this week and looking at these different assessments and thought, how strange. You know, I it didn't perform a palpatory exam or treat with osteopathic manipulative treatment any of these patients. But I felt 100% grounded and founded and useful as an osteopathic physician in those engagements and encounters. You know, I was able to honor that unity of body, mind, and spirit and really acknowledge, you know, that their bodies tendency was towards self-regulation, self-healing, and health maintenance, and here for those interruptions and disruptions, and work with them, and listen with them, and problem solve with them to find where they could start to get back on track, and, you know, again, I paused for a moment, like, do I admit this? Is this saying, I don't even need to treat any of these people, and I've been applying this hands-on treatment for of my patients for the past decade plus? And the answer was no. And I think it's been so critical for me in these past six months to get really clear on why I've wanted to work with this osteopathic life. And for me, there's really no distinction. I've been on a kind of personal and professional evolution and revolution and those are one and the same. And as I've done more research and reflected on my experience in osteopathy, you know, it's not what I do, it's who I am. And I recently read this book called Margin and about kind of the overrun in modern life and not holding boundaries around, you know, many things, sleep and stress and finances and all those things I've been talking about. And when I say that, it's not what I do, it's who I am can sound a little dangerous again like you let work overrun your life and where do you hold those boundaries and yes that's an important conversation to have but at the same time these are such key critical in undilutable principles that they I would say govern my life but that sounds oppressive you know they're just foundational cornerstones 
that help give good boundaries and margin to my life and you know places to reflect they're the lighthouses in that foggy you know ship at sea moment um that circle back and so i that's why i feel so strongly about the message and the mission of you know restoring the heart of osteopathy which was the name of this conference i went to where i suffered a key critical core injury and I can't help but think of restoring the heart of Tafiti in the movie Moana and if you have a five-year-old daughter I think you can't help but make that likeness but that's how it feels to me you know it's bringing the heart back to osteopathy and speaking the truth of it in the power that it does hold for the health of all things and so I would encourage my osteopathic colleagues to think about that. You know, when when did you feel the most osteopathic and what happened in that encounter? And I would wonder if we really thought about it, you know, was it osteopathic manipulative treatment? And that's fair. That could totally be a yes. And again, I've had some profound experiences with the hands-on treatment and that inherent healing capacity of the body that can be engaged by simple support and kind of sense of balancing and honoring those inherent capacities. But also listen for your interviews and your intakes and your histories and your physical exam and, you know, where did osteopathy really ring true for you and perhaps be encouraged that it's not always an osteopathic manipulative treatment because sometimes I can feel, especially for those for whom it's not a common part of their practice, like another thing, you know, it's an added procedure. It's more time, it's more documentation and more billing and coding. And there can be benefits to that because it is a useful and distinct procedure that can be helpful. But also it could just be a natural part of what you're doing. And maybe you just need to take a moment and honor that you are practicing osteopathically or sit with these tenets, and particularly this one, and look at how you might be able to apply that a little more intentionally and consistently with your patients and really bring higher quality, better than standard of care to the experience with your patients and positively influence their outcomes. And I do acknowledge there can be a danger in getting really ethereal in these thoughts and Um, You know, as you research these topics, a lot of articles come up that are naysaying essentially and what does it mean to have inherent therapeutic potency and how do we measure that? And there are ways we're working on that. Again, measuring biomarkers and physiological outcomes before and after treatment and maybe before and after simply the engagement with the patient or before and after a therapeutic course of you know, we need to stratify the, stratify that stress and sleep and socialization are really what's most important to your health right now. Here are some tools to get there. Let's implement these changes in behaviors over the next 12 weeks. And maybe we do have some, you know, key data markers before and after. And my research-friendly colleagues, if you're ready, willing, and able to put that study together, I'm with you. Let's work together. And we can get as data-specific as we need to, but we also need to keep humanity at the core of this process and look at some humanistic markers 
and measures of success as well. Epigenetics has taken a big upturn in media and in research and you know looking at this potential and these you know the shifts in expression and thinking of all the volumes of information that are held in our DNA and that we have the capacity to turn these genes on and off and looking at where that capacity and power lies you know is it in the mind and this mindfulness movement that's happening is it in the structure and you know physical trauma and again if we're rebalancing that are we able to shift the expression of these genes in a positive fashion and to me in my interpretation again this is echoing those concepts of osteopathy that again all that information and capacity is in the body and how it's being expressed is shifting it's fluid it's not a fixed state and how do we positively influence that? And I think our primary job should be empowering the patient to have a strong influence over that expression for themselves, you know, in control of their thoughts, their feelings, their actions, you know, listening for when stress starts to come into the body and having tools to take themselves out of that hypersympathetic fight or flight state. You know, we can be very effective in osteopathic in approaching our patients in that way. There's been a challenge again to kind of update these osteopathic tenets and make them more uniquely osteopathic because we can look back across the history of medicine and find glimmers of these. But it is also important to note that you know AT still took the time to study them and glean from various you know, areas and evolutions that were happening during his time in the practice of medicine and write about them in enough of a way that gives, again, some structure and form to it, but also in an ambiguous enough way that can be frustrating for some who want details and algorithms and very specific treatment courses, but also, again, in a way recognizing that medicine is going to evolve. Even in his lifetime, there's a big shift in types of treatment and approaches and awareness and I think had the anticipation that this is going to keep shifting. So having a very fixed, very specific paradigm isn't going to be helpful. But if we can have some key guiding principles, it can help us even as the volumes of information, you know, double and triple and quadruple. And there's so much to get through. Our role as physicians generally shifts. You know, there's more information than we could ever hold ourselves, but we can be experts at gleaning through for those pearls and quality sources and talking the patient through the meaningfulness of their options. You know, we're at an age and stage in medicine where patients could essentially kind of get whatever studies they want and labs they want, and there's a lot of patient autonomy, and that's great. You know, the patient really does need to be the primary responsibility carrier for his or her health. But they deserve to have an educated, caring, professional physician supporting them in that and helping them understand the information and realize that just because you can get any test or study that you want, that may not be appropriate. It may not be fiscally appropriate. It may not be physiologically appropriate. 
you have to think anytime you're going to order a test, what am I going to do with this information? You know, is this mildly positive test going to cause me more stress in worse health outcomes? Am I going to be willing to take on the next you know, set of studies that are indicated? Am I going to be willing to take the medication that's likely going to be recommended for this? And that's not to say we shouldn't get them, but we should have very clear, informed consent and decision-making when obtaining you know, studies, especially with the plethora of information and dollars that could be spent on investigation. So a bit of a tangent, but I think still relative to this concept. And just a really enlightening week for me, you know, as again, I hone in on the clarity of what it means to be osteopathic for me globally, again, for my colleagues, for the world. And I'm encouraged by my experience this week that it can be broadened. It can also be specified. I think it does call on us to, you know, get data and recognize our role in medicine and in the evidence-based medicine world and how to coexist there, but also our ultimate responsibility to hold the person at the center of that. And so we need you know, to gather data to be more robust in that way. And we do see the outcomes and we can you know, align the studies to match that. And there have been some challenges to evidence-based medicine. And again, for as helpful as it is, it is also possible to you know, create studies that say what you need them to say. You know, you pick just the right data and numbers and manipulate outcomes. And that's not to say it's all studies, um, but it's not to say that all research is altruistic and, you know, all done appropriately all the time. There are biases that we have to consider. And so just as with patient care, our task as osteopathic physicians is to do better than, you know, to elevate the standard of care and to show our merits based on humanistic values and also on data gathering, you know, that can bring meaningful scientific evidence to the game. So I would love, if you're out there and listening, you know, to work with those research experienced and truly scientifically minded individuals and how we can co-collaborate. And again, elevate that experience um, for ourselves and for patients and for osteopathic medicine and ultimately for the health of all things. I'm going to wrap up for today with the second osteopathic tenant with a review as we go into this, the final two tenants in the next episodes of this proposed review of the tenets of osteopathic medicine and principles for patient care that was in uh, the Journal of the American Osteopathic Association. And I'll link these in the show notes as I get them prepared. That number one, a person is the product of dynamic interaction between body, mind, and spirit. Number two, an inherent property of this dynamic interaction is the capacity of the individual for the maintenance of health and recovery from disease. Number three, many forces, both intrinsic and extrinsic to the person, can challenge this inherent capacity and contribute to the onset of illness. 
Number four, the musculoskeletal system significantly influences the individual's ability to restore this inherent capacity and therefore to resist disease processes. And from there, the proposed principles for patient care. Number one, the patient is the focus for healthcare. Number two, the patient has the primary responsibility for his or her health. Number three, an effective treatment program for patient care is founded on these tenets. And it's an interesting reinterpretation and approach, and I'll leave it kind of as food for thought and where we see osteopathic medicine having a benefit, where we see some room for improvement, and where we can find encouragement that we can be our truest osteopathic selves with or without osteopathic manipulative treatment, but by honoring that which exists within our patients, within ourselves, within our communities, respecting the complexity and the beauty and the tremendous intelligence of the self-regulating and healing capacities of the body. Asking that critical why for when it's not working appropriately and helping work with the patient to triage the possibilities of what those interruptions might be, both internally, within the patient physiologically, externally, between them and their environment, emotionally, between that mind, body, and spirit connection. Where are those interruptions? What connections can we help them to make themselves? Do they need our assistance in doing? Can they find the support they need in their community? And then let's take that to the next level. How can we effectively, meaningfully document this, you know, in measures that can be reproducible, but also still meaningful on the human level? And I hope through the process of this osteopathic life, we will continue to do that and rise to the challenge together. So thank you for taking the time to listen this osteopathic life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue our journey through the tenets and carry on into the mission of living this osteopathic life for the best health of all things. Thank you for listening.